Welcome to Basecamp Live here with Kelly Barber in the studio. How are you doing, Kelly? I'm doing well. Thank you, David. So i got a question for you. If you could go to any time period, let's say in the last 100 years, and raise your kids instead of this year, uh, when would you go any time period? You just maybe 50s or something, you know, some hoop skirts, life was simpler. Where would you go? <laughs> well, I think we all have a nostalgia, I'm sure, for different times of our childhood. I certainly think it's tempting to say, you know, when you remember going from four TV channels to five, and that yeah. bad, well, that was a lot easier back then to keep track of things. I, that's a good question. I don't, I don't know that I have the answer to that. I do know that I think it's hard now to keep up, certainly, the pace of change and just the number of voices that are be able to influence our kid through media and just trying to stay up to speed with what's going on. I'm, yeah. I'm thinking the last three months where I've been trying to stay relevant to a bunch of high school girl basketball players, and I can tell you at 43, it's, it's pretty hard oh, I wonder hard why to you're do. wearing those shoes today. Those are really <laughs> kind of hipster looking. I don't. I think they were last week, but they're not this week. Yeah, you, you just can't keep up. And it used to be you worried because your kid was hanging out with, you know, Eddie, whatever his name was. Uh, Eddie Haskell. Down the street, you yeah. know, like just stay away from Eddie and the world yeah, will right. be simple. And today you got Eddie in your pocket and, you know, Eddie's YouTube videos and everything else that's coming at your kids. So... It's pretty tricky. I'm really excited about our guest today. Um, no stranger to the Basecamp show, um, Brooke Hempel. Brooke is uh, vice president of research at the Barna Research Group. I mean, what a blessing to have her insights. Barna, um, in January, released a study on Gen X. Uh, yeah. Sorry, Gen Z. Gen Z, We're yes. Gen X, yes. See, that's how fast it's changing. I can't even keep up. And then what do you do? Gen Z, then we get start all over. Gen A is coming. <laughs> I can't keep up with this. But anyhow, Gen Z, that's the K through 12, our kids out there. Um, and what's their world? So we kind of looked at what is the... What's the just the disposition, the habits, the challenges of that particular generation? I want to kind of, in this interview, we're going to dive in one layer deep into kind of the practical. What I love about Brooke is that Brooke, after looking at all of the, both the challenges and the benefits of Gen Z, she said, I have the perfect antidote. And she said, I'm going to put my kids into a classical Christian school hmm. in Atlanta. So not that it's the only antidote, but it's a significant part of how she's choosing to raise her kids. So um, let's see what she has to say about how to raise up a generation um, and how to come alongside them and encourage them since they are a little different than us. Yeah, great. No, I'm really looking forward to hearing what she has to yeah. say. Very current data. Yeah, my mom used to just get upset about MTV. And now we, have, Yeah, anyhow, it's a, it's a different world out there. <laughs> Let's see what Brooke has to say. Mountains, we all face them. Basecamp Live will equip you to conquer the biggest mountains when raising the next generation. Each week, you'll hear from culture watchers, thought leaders, and storytellers who know the tools you'll need to summit the peak and shape exceptionally thoughtful, compassionate, and flourishing human beings. Welcome to Basecamp Live, and now your host, Davies Owens. Welcome to Basecamp Live. Davies Owens here on the line with Brooke Hempel. Brooke, it's great to have you back. How are you? Good. Thank you. Great to be back. I tell you, if you didn't hear the interview we did back in October with Brooke, you need to do that. Brooke is... Um, you're not only the vice president of research at Barna and 15 plus years of market research and advising, you know culture probably better than anyone in the Barna group is, I think, the the go-to organization as far as really trying to get a pulse beat of culture today. So I love to hear from you. Last October, you all were preparing the big Gen Z update that released in January, and now that's gone out. So we're here today to kind of follow up on that. So I'd love to dive in deep. And then, of course, if you don't know your story, I love the fact that you happen to be at, at Heritage Prep, which happens to be the school where I was headmaster of for a number of years in Atlanta. So it's a small world yeah. out there. Yeah. yeah. Well, Brooke, for folks that don't, Gen Z, I'd love to, who is Gen Z um, exactly? And and I, I just, I'm, I'm also part two of that question is just, what happens after Gen Z? Do you start over Gen A? <laughs> 
<laughs> um, in Australia, they've begun to call them alphas. So, okay. Yes. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> I always, I'm a Gen X. Like, why don't we start with like B or C? Why? Do, anyhow, that's a whole other sociology question for another day, I guess. But yeah, it's a misnomer. We were called Gen X because they didn't know what to do with this, and we were against every other thing that existed in the future. <laughs> okay. It was never meant to be Y and Z. So Z is a placeholder. Okay. Um, Gen Y eventually became millennials, yep. and Gen Z will ultimately get a name. We actually decided not to try to name them when we um, published the study a couple of weeks back. And and the New York Times has been doing a campaign to try to come up with a name for Gen Z. But it's actually kind of early to do that. Yeah. Um, we have to see more about who they are and um, you know what they are. Uh, you know, drawn to how, how their uh, viewpoints are shaping over time, but they will ultimately get named. Um, they are basically today's teens. So the, the oldest Gen Z is in college right now because they're freshmen in college. They're 19 years and younger. We don't know where the end cutoff is yet because generations keep getting smaller and smaller because the world keeps changing so fast. Yeah. So right now we consider that they go down to, you know, young kids, but that may not be the case uh, right. long term. Right. And it, it, again, these are arbitrary, you know, marks, whether, you know, I think it, Gen right. Z is born 1999 to 2015. If you're born in 98, are you out? No, not necessarily. And it seems like to me, the older generations, us Xers are starting to act a bit like Gen Zers, just the prevalent, um, <laughs> prevalent, uh, prevalence of technology and other things in our culture. So again, it's somewhat right. arbitrary, but at the same time, not. And so, you know, before we, we um, started recording here, you and I are having a conversation about just being, I think really just the world of parents. And I'm curious your, your perspective, when we look at the Gen Zers, our own kids in our own home, are there some tendencies or, or, or distinctives of that generation that are just so different that maybe we just don't even really realize the pressures and the attitudes that they've bought into, even in our Christian homes. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it is really dramatically different. And of course, the one that everyone points to is the iPhone. And I say specifically the iPhone because it's not just technology or social media. Um, the iPhone has trained behavior in a way that was just not even existent before. And we see so much data um, since the day that that device came out. Mm how behavior has actually changed in teens in, versus decades prior, just dramatic changes. So um, that is the number one uh, influencer of what's different in Gen Z and the way that they interact with the world and what's important to them. Um, but also through that channel, there's a number of other things that are different about them. The way that they think about relationships is very different because of the virtual nature of, of the people that they've interacted yeah. with. Um, they may have a best friend across the world who's their gaming buddy who, you know, plays some sort of video game with them and, and they compete and, and they're truly friends and yet they'll never meet. You know, that's, I, that's so different. This reality was hit home to me this weekend with my 16 year old son. I, I was giving him a, a hard time because he's like many in, in the habit of being in a conversation with me and his mother in our home. And all of a sudden his phone is out and he's doing something on it. I'm like, could you put the phone down when you're with me? And, and I made this discovery to this very point where he said back to me, dad, I, there are nine people right now that I'm in a conversation with and you're one of them. And I'm like, no, 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 wait a minute. I, I'm your dad and I'm in the room with you. <laughs> so those other eight people, they're not on the same tier, but in his brain, they were equally in relationship with him at that moment. And that's a totally foreign concept to me, but completely the way the world works to him. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. They're, um, they are very comfortable in the virtual 
And, you know, to me, artificial intelligence and virtual reality seems so bizarre and it's entertainment and whatever. No, it's, it's actually, it's the way could they, be potentially truly normal. Yeah. And I think for a parent, these are huge that, you know, this is a, a, a given the example for, of you know, traveling to Africa and, you know, just simple things like hand signals when, you know, a, the way we wave in America is actually means in Africa to come to you. So when we were first there, people would come rushing up to us. And we're like, we're just waving. We had no idea we were throwing <laughs> off these cultural messages that we weren't even aware of. And I think, again, when we deal with our own kids, there's a little bit of that. Is my kid just uh, disrespectful or is he actually in his world totally respecting me? And he's also respecting his friends. And so it's a kind of sobering reality that they are totally seeing the world differently in certain cases. Right. And they literally will have a different language that they use and certain things mean something different with their friends than with their parents and other adults. Um, <laughs> so it's true. They are, they are truly uh, multilingual already before they even learn another explicit language um, because they're, they're using different technology to communicate. So even if someone, you or I might make the case, even if they're thinking that, it's still not right. I mean, you'd still want them to be present with you with the embodied humans in the room versus the digital friends away from them. So there's still a, maybe some correcting that could happen there, but there's an assumption. Right. It's not just, again, indifference or spitefulness. Well, this is, right. okay. So what are some other things Gen Zers might be doing just thinking this is the air they breathe and we're thinking they're maybe off, off the mark a bit? Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we've studied a lot and, and I've observed is uh, that they are um, reluctant to give an answer. And that may be that they actually have a belief, but when they're questioned about it, they don't want to describe it. They don't want to take a stand. And so to me, I might interpret that as, well, they're not really confident in their belief mm. or, well, they're not really um, able to defend their belief. They don't understand it well enough to you know, defend that. Uh, that might be true for some, but there is a cultural norm that they've grown up in in most environments where it's it's inappropriate to challenge someone else's belief because um, not showing a kind of acceptance and agreement with someone else's belief is tantamount to saying you don't accept them. Hmm. And so there is this politically correct culture that they've grown up in where you, you really do keep your opinions to yourself. And if you want to share them, you share them with someone else who you know is already like-minded. That's fascinating. So, yeah. <laughs> not our world. Right? Well, yeah. And again, we're, we're giving, we're assuming they're just weak willed or they don't have right. evangelistic gumption or something. It's like, no, this is actually a, a cultural offense and we don't even realize it. That's amazing. Yeah. Even for our Christian kids. And that's the thing that they do swim in the same water, even if they believe in Jesus, they're still right. buying into some of these. So, yeah. They're still conditioned in some of those ways. And we saw that in focus groups. We did um, Christian teens and non-Christian teens. And uh, the Christian teens, knowing that they were in a room full of Christian teens, were still just as reluctant to share why they believe in Jesus or wow. that they believe in Jesus, <laughs> which really blew me away. I mean, yeah. um, you know, they all are kind of having the same education and they presumably think they all believe the same thing, but they're tentative. Yeah because they don't know how they're going to be reacted to and because they live in a world of kind of instant response mm -hmm. through social media, they know that everything they say has retribution, that they cannot <laughs> just say something and it just goes away. Right. It, it, it lives on forever. So that they have to so be very careful. Yeah, that's very right? frightening. That's <laughs> I'm glad I grew up in the 80s. All right. Uh, okay. <laughs> what, what else? What else are Gen Zers sort of thinking, believing that we may 
not really understand about them. Mm. So this next one um, isn't necessarily pervasive, but I, I consider something um, for parents and uh, youth leaders to be really aware of is that they are prone to anxiety. So mm. again, that may be reinforcement from different social networks yep. and getting constant feedback on what they say or what they're involved in. Um, they're hyper, hyper self-aware, which has led to a legitimate crisis of mental health challenges with the generation. Um, anxiety is pervasive and to the point that literally, I mean, the, you know, uh, pediatricians kind of have rung the alarm bells about it and medications for it. We hear that. A lot. In fact, we're going to do a podcast with some local pediatricians that have said that exact thing. It's just an epidemic of anxiety. And it is. Yeah. And you had a, um, a good podcast a, a few weeks back also that was on kind of mm -hmm. assessing that and knowing the warning signs. And, and we've been talking to youth leaders and youth pastors who have said, oh my goodness, this has suddenly popped up. It's not just the people who are coming into the church from the outside. It's within our congregation and I don't know how to deal with it. Well, what, and the root, So what's the root issue in your opinion or from the research you're seeing? What's, where, what is that coming from? A fear of acceptance? Is that? that it's a few things. Um, it's, it's the acceptance thing is a big part of it because social media just compounds the fact that you need to constantly be liked mm -hmm. or seem important enough. Mm -hmm. Um, you're posting enough pictures about cool, exciting things happening in your life that you are actually important. Um, so that's a big piece of it. I think the other piece too, is they're not comfortable in the, um, what I'll call the gaps in the waiting they're not, they're not really good with patients. Um, they're not really good with unknowns because those are two things you don't have to deal with when you live in a world of Google, right? So you know everything instantly and you get everything instantly. So when you don't, that's really scary. Yeah. Um, yeah. They don't, they haven't learned that skill of patience. And then the third one I think is, um, can, can take different forms for different kids, which is we live in a post-Christian world. Mm -hmm. And so that can bring some just genuine darkness um, for those who are not exposed to Christianity, for many of them, there is a sense of hopelessness that's legitimate. Uh, they don't know why they're here, and they don't believe that um, there's meaning to life. But even for those who've grown up in a Christian home, just to see and observe the darkness around is actually legitimately um it produces anxiety just yeah. to see it. It reminds me of, uh, of Postman's book from, you know, pre-internet days of amusing ourselves to death, where there's literally just the, you know, the anxiety of so much. He begins the book by talking about when the telegraph first came out, little towns in Kansas were now, all the talk was the hotel fire in New York, that prior to that, no one knew or cared about the hotel fire. Now we've got that times a million, it seems like, in terms of just... Right. We're overloaded. Overloaded. Yes. And we don't have to do it at all. Mm -hmm. Well, this is... So that that's a great, just quick insight into some... Maybe, in my mind, it gives me a little bit more grace that I'm dealing um, <laughs> with. If I, I can find that grace when I travel to Africa. In my own home, I need to probably have a little bit more of that grace that they're just wired a little bit right. differently. And it's not that it's can't be adjusted or they're missing out on something, and we should address that. But I want to come back after the break and, and delve into something topically around this idea, some of the research you did was interviewing parents of what you were calling engaged Christians. So a lot of the Gen Z study is looking at just the world, quote, out there. I want to see what you're seeing from within our, our wonderful bubble. Oh, it's, I think it's okay to say for a season, mm -hmm. we want to put our kids in a bubble. Eventually we get them out of the bubble. But what are some things that maybe um, have really helped from your research to show what makes a difference when our kids do leave the bubble and they head off to college? How do they go to the different the distance? How do they endure? What makes their faith sticky? 
uh, we'll be back after the break and delve into those topics. Ambleside Schools International fosters an educational renewal based upon the pedagogical insights of British educator Charlotte Mason. Serving an international community of parents, teachers, and schools, Ambleside makes a living education accessible to all. For additional information regarding Ambleside Schools International and training opportunities for principals, teachers, and parents, please visit our website at AmblesideSchools.com. Welcome back to Basecamp Live. Davies Owens here on the line with Brooke Hempel. We are talking about Barna's research on Gen Z and in particular kind of bringing it close to home with our parent hats on. Who are these kids that are under our own roof? And what are the, some of the idiosyncrasies and cultural things that they have to deal with that we may just think are um, our own kids? And it's really part of the generation that they're growing up in. Brooke, I want to hear a little bit about the research you all have done around the parents of engaged Christians. So this is going to hit close to home. These are this is us. Like you surveyed evangelical Christian folks and said, <laughs> yeah. what's going on in your homes? So what did yeah, you find? It, it was great. It was actually really encouraging. So we, we did this study of parents who were Christians who, you know, went to church regularly. So at least in the last month and, and most often weekly, yep. um, and they had orthodox beliefs. So they had a certain belief about the Bible um, and about their own relationship with Jesus and the way to salvation. So we kind of screened them on a number of beliefs and said, okay, these are people who have really solid Christian beliefs um, and they're practicing those in their home. So what is it about the way that they model their faith for their teens and what do they want for their teens um, as they grow into adults? And there are a lot of really encouraging um, things in there. I'll say first that um, at the same time, we looked at teens who we would have classified as engaged. Um, so they basically, they weren't the same parent and child, but they would have had the same um, cohort. And these teens who were engaged Christians said, you know, two thirds of them say, I can actually share my honest questions and struggles and doubts with my parents. Wow. And that was so different from other kids, um, whether they were Christian or not, that they were just able to have these conversations with their, with their parents. Um, that was so meaningful because you know that they're wrestling through all sorts of challenges in living out their faith and to know that their parents were a trusted audience for that and, and, and that just, they had good dialogue was so encouraging. That is really encouraging and it makes perfect sense. And are these, just to be clear, these who are surveyed are still under their parents uh, in their homes? This, this is not the... I mean, there's certainly a population, I always call it the Barna 80%. That's probably my favorite statistic of when they leave and go to college <laughs> and how many wander off from their faith. So there's 20% roughly that kind of stay the distance. But this right. is actually the before they've left. These are basically like high, middle, junior high, high school age kids in their home who are Correct. still engaged in their faith. Okay. Yeah. And this is what we would guess would be the 20% who will probably stick with their faith. Yeah. Because if, if you're a you know, 17, 18 year old and yeah. you're able to answer these questions and say, you know, I'm, I'm super solid in my own beliefs, yeah. then yeah. you're likely going to be ready for what they face. Did, did you come across the statistics on just the number? Of, it's it's the, uh, unbelievable uh, small amount of time that the average parent spends in a real conversation with their kids on a typical day. I mean, it's like probably in the matter of uh -huh. minutes, you know, when you're not saying, don't forget your gym bag and here's your lunch <laughs> to actually talk. Yeah. Cause you're talking, I mean, what you just described is an, an actual conversation beyond that to say, I want right. to be in your life. I want you to feel like you can come to me with things that are going on. Yeah. So this is a really different kind of angle. Um, so these are parents who were so intentional uh, we asked them, 
what are they actually doing with their teens? So let me, let me back up before yeah. even conversations and say, what do they physically do together? 45% of these parents read and discuss the Bible together with their teens. Now these are teenagers, mm. right? Like they're busy, they're doing activities, they're studying. 45% have the time to sit down and discuss the Bible with their teen on a regular basis. That is intentionality. And those are habits that they're shaping their, their teens with their children with that are going to live with them forever. Right. That is so awesome. And, and really a, an encouragement to me as a parent to like, maintain those rhythms, you know, even as we head into the teenage years. I'm sure some people are feeling discouragement right now. As much. <laughs> and I was listening for that word regular, which doesn't mean daily okay. for an hour or something overwhelming. Cause I think the challenge is, no. I think we all feel like, Oh my goodness, where's that going to fit in? But it's just right. I can somewhere consistently and roughly exactly. defined. Yeah. But it's just not ad hoc. Um, right. You know, then, you know, then they're able to have discussions with those teens. And so we did talk to um, or ask these parents about what they talk to their kids about. Mm-hmm. And so the, the number one topic is just current events and, and how do you as a Christian make sense of that, right? Mm-hmm. So six out of 10 said that's like a, a primary thing we're talking about. Yeah. It's like we see something in the news and we figure out, so what do we make of that given our faith? Um, a lot of them are tech, talking about relationships and marriage and sexuality. That's you know, a normal teen topic, about half of them say that's pretty common. But then it gets into stuff that I wouldn't have expected. So these are the next ones down that these parents are talking about with their teens. Four out of 10 say, I'm talking about healthy consumption of popular media, popular Hmm. culture and media. So four out of 10 are saying like, is it okay? Or is it appropriate that we're watching this? Or what is a good idea? How do I keep my mind healthy? Um, And then 40% are talking about some true theology on (laughs) evidence of Jesus's life, ministry, death, and resurrection. And that was just like, wow, Wow. they're, you know, they're, they're literally talking about evidence of their faith and how do I defend it? And then the third topic that was very prevalent was biblical perspectives on gender issues across a variety of gender issues, right? And so some of that is, um, you know, news related topics that come up. And some of that is, how do I encourage my son or daughter to grow into the man or woman they are becoming? Hmm. And so those conversations, those aren't flippant. No, they're not. Again, I'm thinking, is there a curriculum someone could order for this? Yeah. Like this is, these are, these are some meaty. And I think a lot of parents probably feel that they're like, they want to go through that conversation first with somebody, because I think we're all feeling that sense of being over. What do we do with this? So again, these are general. So, yeah, go ahead. So what's interesting, though, I think I think we as parents tend to um, worry if we're equipped enough or we can answer the right questions. But what seemed evident from the data was that the, the topic of conversation simply didn't evade these parents. Mm-hmm. They just dove in all the time, whatever it was. Yeah. And, and that rhythm of conversation in their household, even if they didn't have an answer, meant that their child was willing to come to them for all sorts of things that they were trying to make sense of. That is so significant. And, and that's, I mean, if everything we've talked about, to me, that's just so huge, which is just jump in, have the conversation, tee up the topic, even if you don't think you can tie a perfect mm-hmm. answer to the end. And I think we, we're such an age of specialists and experts. We feel like, well, I don't have a seminary degree. I can't talk about that or I don't. I don't know. We just, we, we, then we end up doing nothing and we've missed the opportunity, which is what yeah. you're talking about. Yeah. And even just showing them, okay, well, if I have this question, where would I go to find the yep, answer? Exactly. That's a huge deal for yeah. this generation. That's really smart. Um, if, I, if I can't Google it, what else can I do? <laughs> and how can I know that I get a good, reliable yeah. answer? Mom or dad, right next to Google. How exciting. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You can always depend on us if the power goes down. Comes, yeah. All right. So that's, <laughs> so for bubble kids, 
these conversations are imperative. What else did you find? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then rhythms being really important and having, um, that kind of ongoing trust that, that just builds constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, again, you know, we compared the teens and the parent data and we were able to see that, you know, the teens also did say they trusted their parents. They went to their parents. Um, and that, if you think about the virtual world that teens are growing up in, that Gen Z is growing up in, and the fact that they could go to so many places to get answers, the fact that they will come to their parents says there is relationship there. And that is harder than ever today. Um, they have to do all sorts of things to overcome uh, the barriers to those relationships. But it's super important to be building them and investing in them ongoing. So, Brooke, one other question about this study. Is it exclusively parents or is it an, a, an adult? Could it be a youth leader? Could it be a, a, another godly influence as an adult? We did a separate study of youth leaders. Okay. Um, and, you know, there's been some evidence out there that's talked about, uh, Sticky Faith talked about, you right. know, there's five people who, mm-hmm. you know, feed into your child, your child's or your teen's development in, yep. as a Christian adult. Um, and so we kind of thought that, that that really mattered. So we looked at youth pastors, we looked at parents, um, and we asked kids also who else they talked to. There's sometimes another family member or um, a coach is very yeah. common or someone yeah. at their school um, who they trust and they talk to a lot. Uh, but it was interesting when we talked to youth pastors, as much as I know youth leaders have a heart to really help kids um, grow into their faith, they're torn. So we saw the opposite effect, whereas the parents were able to be incredibly intentional and go deep with their kids. Youth pastors were teaching to the lowest common denominator. Right. So if they've got a whole bunch of kids coming in who aren't you know, aren't well-versed in the Bible and they've got to teach them basic Bible study skills, they're not getting to the, the deep stuff point. yet. Right. And there's that, and having done a youth ministry for years, I mean, you're, you you have to, where do you balance the jokes and the cokes? And then when you finally get around to having the, the meaningful conversation, yes. especially with a huge crowd full of kids. So it's, yes. my hat's off to youth workers and that. But I was just curious because I think I often quote the sticky faith one to five ratio that you just mentioned. And I think that's important. Most of these kids do have other adults. And I'm thinking of folks who are in, you know, maybe in homes where mom and dad, Maybe one's not a believer or there's just, you know, there's a there's a, a limiting factor to an adult influence. So obviously right. some other in, individual pouring into your child's life is important to make those, to give them a forum for those questions. So, And this is where I'm, I'm going totally off my research, but okay. community matters. Um, yeah. <laughs> this is just, you know, practical experience. Yeah. Community matters. I'm so thankful that I am in a Christian community, um, both in my church and our kids' school, where I know that there are other parents who will be speaking into my kids yeah. and where, for example, I might be very similar to my daughter and she and I have conversations and I get her. Sometimes my son confounds me. He's different than me, but somebody else is just like him in yeah. our peer yeah. group. And those parents, I give those parents license to kind of help train up my child yeah. um, because they will touch his heart in a way that, that I can't. Um, because they relate to him. So that, that community part is so, such so, Such a great so point. You know, I think the churches even hundreds of years ago figured out back in the olden days, they would have a revivalist that would come to town. And the revivalist, in many cases, would probably preach a very similar gospel to the typical sermon that the regular pastor preached every Sunday. But revival would break out because it was a different voice and it was a different perspective, mm-hmm. even though it was the same root message. So you're right. I think having that that community. And that's certainly a, a gift for those of us in classical Christian schools where we have in many, for the most part, like-minded parents. So, you know, yeah. we began this fall with, uh, got together with other, my son in 10th grade, we were probably a, 
a dozen of us fathers and sons just doing a, a kind of on our own, a small group. And I thought, I'm so thankful for these other men who are speaking in the life of my son. So it's a great yes. thing. Well, Brooke, we're, we're going to be short on time. I think we may want to go into a, a backside. Those of listeners who know what that is, that just means we're going to be faithful to our 23 minutes. We'll, um, we'll stop here and then come back because I'm sure there are other things that we can talk about as far as what your research is showing for the parents uh, of engaged, of the, the students who are engaged, what were the characteristics of those families? So I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. So we'll, we'll take a break again. And if you want to come back, just uh, it'll be an, another episode here uh, to continue our conversation with Brooke Campbell. Thanks again, Brooke, for being a part of this. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Okay. You've been listening to Basecamp Live with Davies Owens. You know, raising the next generation isn't easy, so we hope you're refreshed and encouraged by what you've heard today. And if so, please invite others to listen. You can subscribe at BasecampLive.com, and we would invite you to join the conversation about ancient future education. Info at BasecampLive.com is that address. Please shoot us a message. We'd love to hear from you. And thanks again for joining us.